Let me turn you back to Hebrews chapter 10. We've simply entitled the message, Fear God. Fear God. Let's unite our heart together. A word of prayer as we come to the preaching. We pray the Lord will speak to your heart, even tonight. Our gracious, eternal, loving, heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord, for thy presence, thy presence that makes the feast. We thank you, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And Lord, we would pray for that tonight. And we would pray, Lord, that thou would solemnize our hearts as we come even to this very passage, text. And Lord, that thou would take away every distracting thought, take away every distraction. And oh God, we pray thou would shut us in just with thee. We pray, Lord, to be that challenge of soul. Make it, a, make it, Lord, a comfortable place for the unconverted. Lord, we thank Thee even in the preaching of the gospel, the people of God can rejoice. Can rejoice in what Thou hast done for us. Can rejoice, Lord, that Thou hast reached down and lifted us from the miry clay, placed our feet on the rock, Christ Jesus. Can rejoice that we are recipients of that full salvation that we've been singing about. O God, draw near tonight, even in the closing moments of this meeting. Reign that I would give that help that's needed this evening. Give us, Lord, help in the pulpit tonight. O God, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. In those prevailing words, we pray. Bless, Lord, the hearer, or give help in the hearing of the word. May it be, Lord, Accompanied by faith in those that are yet unseen. Bless those who will listen to it at a later stage. We pray, Lord, that their hearts might be blessed as well. Now, Lord, hear our cry. Abide with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a spirit today that says, don't get angry, just get even. And how many have sought to get back at someone who has wronged them, only to bring themselves down to their level and to be totally consumed with the spirit of revenge. And when that spirit of revenge has not been able to be exacted, it ends up eating away at them like a cancer. It's such a spirit that has caused many of God's people to lose out with the Lord and to lose their power with God. If only they had taken heed to some scriptures which are repeated both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Indeed, we have them before us in this very passage tonight. For Paul reminds us of the very prerogative of God. As you find it in verse 30. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And those in particular which Paul has in mind and has been speaking of are those who have turned away from the truth. The hypocrites. The mere professor of religion. Paul has the apostate. Especially in focus in these verses. They who despise God's word. They who despise the precious blood of Christ. The one who profess themselves to be God's people. And yet turn away from that profession. And the message surely is that God will judge them. 
You see, men and women with great privilege comes a greater responsibility. And that is what those in the New Testament time had in comparison to the Old Testament saints. The nation of Israel could never come into the presence of God in the manner in which those in the New Testament could. Why? Because the veil was still there in the temple. But after Calvary, of course, the veil was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and they could enter right in to the very holiest of holies. Paul asks a question in chapter 9 in the words of verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's greater blood than that of the blood of animals that had been slain. And you'll notice he asks another question in chapter 10. This very chapter we're in. In the words of verse 29, of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and had done despite under the Spirit of grace. They that reject the blood, they that reject the only Saviour, how much sorer punishment shall be meted out toward them. You'll notice in the previous verse, they that despised Moses' law died without mercy. What a fearful sentence that is, without mercy. But how much greater will be the punishment of those who despise Christ and his precious blood? You see, men and women, we live in a time where preachers do not speak about the reality of God's wrath or God's judgment. Hell is scarcely mentioned. And that is how people, of course, want it. They don't want to think about that place. They have turned their ears away from the truth. They merely want to have a message which tickles the ear and sends them away home happy again. But dear people, there is the vengeance of God when he shall recompense the sinner for sin and that for all eternity. And it is my business to cause you to consider this. And by God's grace, cause you to flee from it if you haven't already done so, using the words of my text, verse 31, just a short verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A fearful thing. Let me show you, first of all, here the fear that's spoken of. That which is mentioned in our text is the extremity of God's judgment as it will be poured out. And if there's one emotion in the heart of the unconverted soul that should give vent to that in it is fear. That's the very word that's used. For we are considering what the apostle under the guidance of course of God the Holy Spirit was to pen. And he has called it a fearful thing. And while each of us may have some idea of what it is to have a fear of something, if I was to go down throughout the congregation, your fears might be different from the one beside you. But I want you to notice other places where this word is used, and in doing so, we then will be able to define it, what it means. The word is phobias. It's from where you can see, I'm sure you can work it out for yourself, not knowing Greek. It's where we get our English word phobia from. It's closely related. 
And what the apostle is speaking of is that which will cast an apostate into a trembling and terrifying stupor. You will find the same word in verse 27. For he says in that verse, But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. In the context, what can the apostate look forward to but a fearful judgment? One where they will both expect and experience the fiery indignation of a holy and a just God. It was so with Cain. You remember Cain as he claimed that his punishment was greater than he could bear. Here is a judgment so terrible that when men come to apprehend it or to feel the torture of it, if they could, they will gladly flee from it. In fact, this word fear comes from a, word, from a verb which means to flee from. And that is what fear causes a man to do. I don't like the boys with the long tails. I don't really run at them. I probably go the other way. And some of the ladies maybe have a fear of spiders or something else. We tend to forget they're smaller, a lot smaller than we are. But that's what fear does. You take flight. You get away from it. From that which causes fear to rise within the breast. And there's one thing that man could readily flee from if he could. Then it is the last great enemy. Even death itself. You think of Hebrews chapter 2 and the words of verse 15. And it says, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's what Christ did. How many tonight are still held in the bondage of the fear of death? They are afraid to die. And that was brought very much to view just a few years back when the COVID thing came out initially and people didn't understand it and didn't know anything about it. And there was a fear of death for a very, very short time. And there's people tonight in the fear of bondage of death. They have no peace of what will happen after they leave this scene of time and their course on this earth is run and it's over. There's a fear of having to face the death angel for the simple reason is they do not know God's salvation. They do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior who has removed the fear of death for his people. And so when the apostle speaks about a fearful thing, it is that which men would gladly free, flee from if they could. And just how fearful it is can be seen by the manner in which the word is translated in chapter 12 in the words of verse 21. If you turn over to it, it simply says this. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. It's a terrible judgment. And such a fearful thing can be illustrated even from the Old Testament scriptures. I'm thinking of King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar had his great party and the drink was flowing and the friends were there. But he had a fearful revelation that night of the unseen hand that suddenly appeared and wrote on the wall, the plaster of the wall. In Daniel 5 and verse 6 it says, Then the king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. He's in that very three, uh, thrust of being in fear. 
That's the man who sought to exalt himself above the God who wrote the words on that wall. That same night his life was taken from him. Or what about Pharaoh? And how he steadfastly refused to let the children of Israel go. And God sent the plagues and the signs and the wonders of his power until it came to that night in the tenth one when every firstborn in the Egyptian homes were slain at midnight. For they were not sheltering neath the blood as were the homes of the nation of Israel. Tell me, was that not a fearful thing to hear the cries go up of every home from the palace down to the lowest hovel of every firstborn son dead. And Pharaoh nor his people were powerless to do anything about it. Is it not a fearful thing to consider, dear loved one, the words of Nahum the the prophet? He says in verse 2 of this first chapter, God is jealous And the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. We cannot but tremble at the power of God that is on display. And you can read on down through those verses. There is his vengeance spoken about. There is his wrath against his enemies. And the prophet can only say in verse 6, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Is that not a fearful scene? One which you would seek to run from if you could. The fear of such a judgment, the severity of such wrath will one day cause the rich man and the kings, and all sorts of men to call on the mountains to fall on them. Because that's what we read in Revelation chapter 6. <coughs> Verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Why? For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? That's a fearful thing. Dear friend, this is not something that we can attempt to define or even illustrate to you, but it is reality. For I tell you that our God that we worship tonight is a God of consuming fire. And he will pour out his wrath against sin for his justice demands it. And it will be a fearful thing to be on the receiving end of such judgment. It ought to be a fearful thing for the, uh, those that are unsaved to uh, sit under the preaching of the subject. Knowing that if it should God withhold his mercy from you. If he was to take your breath from your body tonight. And you were to die as you sit in the pew tonight in your sin. Then this fearful vengeance will be your experience for all eternity. That's a solemn thought. 
But lest you would despair, I remind you that we're still in the day of God's grace. And the message of the gospel is still being heard. And the preacher begs you to give attention to it so that by God's grace that you might make good your escape, you might flee from the wrath that is to come. Because you see, there is the fear that's spoken about here. There's something else, there's the fall that is significant. One truth that the soul needs to understand <clears throat> is that we are falling continuously as this text of Scripture would imply. It says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you will permit me to map out your life, then I'll show you exactly how that is. We might say the soul is falling from the garden to the grave. When God created Adam in the garden of Eden, he was sinless. He was perfect. He was created after God's own image. And he was also in the knowledge that should he disobey God, should he rebel against God and take of that forbidden fruit and turn against his will, then he would, it would be upon the threat of death. And when therefore Adam, our federal head, sinned against God, took of that forbidden fruit, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. There is no difference for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And that is why not only is there death in your body tonight and in this world tonight, but because Adam in sinning against God turned his back to God and his will, his heart, his affections were torn towards sin, then so you too are likewise the same. And as Adam fell in the transgression, then so too have you. Each one in this house tonight was born exactly the same. Born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And great has been that fall from the garden of paradise where man had everything. He had that sweet communion with his creator and his God. And yet he fell to the grave. For the judgment you remember upon sinful man was that he would return to the ground. For God said, out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. My dear soul, that's how far you've fallen because of sin. The perfect law of God demands that the soul that sinneth it shall die. You're falling all the time. Every day, every day is taking you closer to that long home in which you shall lie until the voice of the one who has conquered death will come back again. And we read that all in their graves shall rise. But to take it a little further, you need to understand that the grave is not the end. These scriptures of truth do not teach us annihilation of after death as some would even like to think these days. Man is a soul that will live on and that lost soul of yours is falling from the grave into the hands of an all-just and an all-holy God. For that's what our text teaches. Oh, the body may go down into the grave, but the soul doesn't go there. And when it states that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, that's speaking after the manner of man. Let me explain that. Remember this, God is a spirit. And that means that he does not have hands or other members as you and I have or as would be depicted on the canvas of art. 
But such terms like these are used for our benefit. The eyes of God, the ears of God, the hands of God. That we might understand. And the scene that is depicted here is that of an enemy who is seeking after one whom he desires to take revenge upon. And if and when he catches him, he will lay hold upon him. And you can be sure he will pay for his deeds. But there is a note of caution to the careless soul. For this is no ordinary avenger. The one into whose hands you're falling is the living God. And when God lays hold upon one, how can they expect ever to escape? For while Elijah could escape the vengeance of the wicked Jezebel, how can any man ever escape from the grip of a holy and an all-powerful sin-hearing God? There's no escape. There's none who at that time will be able to rescue you from the hands of a living God. It'll be time over. Too late. He is the living God. I've been in countries, you've been in countries, no doubt, where you've seen the false gods and the images of the idols. We're not talking about that. It's falling into the hands of the living God. And with that comes the thought that he is unchangeable. There's no change in his justice. There's no change in his vengeance. He remaineth ever the same. And so what God was against in the days of Abraham, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, he is still against. And what God was against at the time of the death of Stephen, whereby they rose up and killed him, he still is against. He is the unchangeable God whose justice must punish sin. And I tell you, he is a God who will not be swayed by gifts, nor be coerced, nor deceived by any fair pretense as is seen by some in the scriptures. He is the living God who knows no change in his person. And that includes his wrath and his vengeance. His hand is a heavy hand. It's a strong hand against sin. His wrath hasn't grown weaker with the passing of years. And dear unsaved loved one tonight, you're falling into the hands of such a God this evening. Can I take you even further? You're falling from God's hands into a lost eternity. Luke chapter 12 and the words of verse 5 are very poignant. It's the Savior himself who's speaking. He says in verse 4, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Verse 5, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. God has the keys of death and hell. He has the power to cast the soul who rejected the gospel and the Christ of God into that outer darkness where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And my friend, that is you tonight in this meeting. Without the Savior, you're falling. Falling all the time toward that lost sinner's hell, that God-forsaken eternity where there's no mercy of God, where there's no answers to prayer, 
where there's no escape. Is that not a fearful thing? That you should fall into the hands of a living God sitting in a gospel preaching church tonight and end up rising and sinking on those flames of endless torment and not rightly so, justifiably so for your sin. Nobody else's, just yours. That's what we all deserve. You see, there is the fall that is significant. Well, I don't want to end there. Because I want you to see the finished salvation. As the soul stares into the truth of this text, just 14 words in it. If you take off the first two in italics, just 12 words. Then the word that comes forth is this. No hope. That's it. No hope. No hope in this world. No hope in the world which is to come. For the soul that's fallen into the hands of a living God. But thank God there is the message of hope for the guilty sinner tonight. And that message is of a finished salvation purchased by the one who was the second Adam. For while the first Adam sinned against God, back in the Garden of Eden, and we all fell in him, the second Adam is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was God's perfect servant. And what our first Adam had lost in paradise, Christ would come and regain for us and more besides. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You're either in one of the... Or the other tonight. You're either in the first Adam, you're yet in your sin, or else you're in Christ. Dear loved one, if you're saved, to be saved from falling and sinking in your mire of sin. And it is to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith that you need to look to. For it was Christ who was to offer that sacrifice that was acceptable in the Father's sight. The Savior was to go to the cross of Calvary. There he was to pay the penalty of sin in his own body on that tree. There he was to fulfill the perfect law of God. He was to satisfy God's divine justice so that God could be just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. He doesn't save his soul by setting aside his justice. His justice already been satisfied at Calvary in that once for all sacrifice that Christ offered there. And there the one who was to die as a sinner's substitute was to stand into our place and endure the wrath of God that was our due. See him tonight high and lifted up. 
even in that middle cross, in that place of no standing, suspended between heaven and earth, Hear that dull blow of the hammer strung low as they nailed him to the tree. Look by faith and see those hands. Their nail-pierced hands. See his precious blood flowing incessantly from those wounds. He endured the cross, Hebrews tells us. He uh, despised the shame. And he did so that he might redeem a people unto himself. He came and he died on the cross that guilty, hell-deserving sinners might be delivered from falling and from an eternal destruction. And the glorious message that we have to proclaim to you tonight, even against the backdrop of verse 31 of Hebrews 10 is this, Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. Bless God, he washed it white as snow. He finished the work. And when all was accomplished, he cried, finished. He was buried. But according to the scriptures, the third day, he rose triumphant or death or hell over the grave itself. He appeared unto his disciples. One of those disciples was doubting Thomas. Thomas missed out at being in the worship of God the previous Lord's Day evening. The Holy Ghost pens it in the scriptures. He was not there. And the disciples came and told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said, except I see the nail prints in his hands and the riven side, I'll not believe. Thomas was there the next Lord's day. And the Savior knew, of course, what he had said. And he rehearsed the words to Thomas. He welcomed him to take his hand and put it into the nail-pierced hand or into his side. But you know, men and women, I believe that one look was enough for Thomas. He didn't need to do that. For all that he could say was, my Lord and my Savior. I wonder, will that be your confession tonight before you leave this house? Preacher, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. I tell you, dear sinner, that God's full salvation is freely offered to you in the gospel. There's a remedy for your sin-sick soul. That is to look away by faith to the Christ of Calvary and to be saved. There's pardon for your sins tonight. There's cleansing for all who will wash in the Savior's atoning blood. There's grace with the Lord. And the invitation of the gospel has still been issued forth. I wonder, will you avail yourself of this God's day of grace to your soul? Bearing in mind that God has said, My spirit will not always strive with man. I don't know when your day of grace will be over. That's God's business. 
But he has given you another opportunity to sit under the preaching of the word tonight and the everlasting gospel. And the Lord is a God of grace. He's unchanging in that as well. And while God's Spirit is striving and has convicted you of your sin, then by God's grace, or will you, will you not come? Will you not seek His mercy and forgiveness through the one who died on the cross of Calvary, through that once for all sacrifice for sin? And tonight you'll know by experience God lifting you from the mire of your sin. Lifting you out of Adam and placing you in Christ by faith. Saved. Secure for all eternity. No fear of death. Because Christ has conquered it. May God help you for his glory's sake. For be assured of this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's my prayer that God would burn that little text into your heart tonight. And if need be, he would take sleep from you until you make peace with God. The Lord bless his word over each and every soul for his own name's sake. Let's just sing in closing 230. Life at best is very brief. Like the falling of a leaf, like the binding of a sheaf, be in time. Leading days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast. The fatal line be passed. Be in time. Page 269 it is, 230. Let's stand as we sing.
Come and start for heaven tonight. Be in time. We invite you, dear loved one, to come. I can be of any help we're here for your sake. We gladly open the scriptures to you. Man, woman, child, be in time. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy presence with the Sol- Solomonists in the meeting, with the solemn verse that we've been looking at. We recognize, Lord, that thou art a just and all holy God, and thou art unchangeable, and is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pray that I might write that word upon the heart tonight. Men and women would be in time. And we'd recognize that life at best is very brief. It's like the falling of the leaf. It's like the binding of the sheaf. We need to be in time. Speak on, Lord, we pray in the preacher's voice is silent. Part us now with thy blessing. May the best yet to be tonight for a soul crying unto God for mercy to save them. For we ask these things in our Saviour's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.